Hello, my beautiful people. It's your girl, E, and this is The Call, where we talk to wildly inspiring and interesting women about their journey to answer their life's calling. I hope you are having a fantastic holiday season, because I am. <laughs> I'm actually home on the East Coast right now in the D.C., Maryland area, spending time with my family, which means that I am in my happiest of happy places. When I'm home, I get to do all the things that I never have time for when I'm in L.A. and on the grind. And one of those things is my favorite pastime. Play music videos on YouTube and dance and sing around the house with my sister. I'm serious, y'all. We really spend intense time doing that together. And that's why this week's guest could not be more perfect. This week, I'm sitting down and talking to filmmaker and music video director Melina Matsukas. I remember back in 2011, the very first time I saw the We Found Love video by Rihanna and Calvin Harris. Y'all know the one, right? We found a love in a hopeless place. We found a love in a hopeless place. Y'all can't see me, but I'm pumping my fist real hard right now. <laughs> I was obsessed with that video. The colors, the dancing, the storyline, the like fake me out, Chris Brown lookalike. <laughs> that was actually my first introduction to Melina's work. Or well, n well, not really. I mean, it turns out I'd actually seen a bunch of her videos before then, but I just didn't know that she had directed them. So I was obsessed with that video, and apparently so was everyone else because Melina won a Grammy for it that year, just like she did in 2016 when she won her second Grammy for one of the most iconic music videos of the past few years, Beyonce's Formation. Yes, y'all, she directed that. In fact, if you look at her resume, I guarantee you there's a video or two or three or four that you love. She's worked with Whitney Houston, Solange, J-Lo, Missy, and yes, Beyonce and Rihanna many, many times over. And that's just a fraction of the artists she's worked with. Over on Man Repeller Social, we did y'all a favor and made a YouTube playlist of her songs and videos, so go ahead and take a look at that. Those are just the videos. Her TV work has been just as iconic. She's the director of HBO's Insecure, and she directed the Emmy Award-winning episode of Master of None, written by Lena Waithe. She makes the kind of videos and tells the kind of stories that get lodged in your memory. They are arresting and authentic, interesting, bold, all of the things. <laughs> And you'll notice a pattern. She works with a lot of women of color. That's not by accident. Melina is a part of a new generation of filmmakers that are bringing strong points of view and diversity to an industry that sorely needs both. She's also just a very cool, chill, self-assured woman who knows exactly what she wants. In our conversation, you'll definitely get that vibe. She's so easy to talk to, and that's why we cover so much. We talk about how she runs a set. I have a specific vision, and I expect that everybody's going to show up to create that. What it means to be a woman in a male-dominated industry? You sometimes need to be louder or quieter or acceptable or not acceptable, and, and I think you just have to be you, you know, but I don't think that that's something that you ever forget. Who she turns to for inspiration and mentorship. And I think that's really important to have a community that you feel supported by that has your back and isn't judging you and also helping to guide you with their experiences. And what she said the first time she met Beyonce. Wait, like a cornball. You said it? I literally said that. I told her that. Those story. were not your words. Literally, I was such an idiot. <laughs> I don't think she heard. Hopefully she didn't. Sit back and enjoy this fun conversation with Melina Matsukas on the call. Melina! Hey, hey, hey. You're here on the call. 
Finally. Finally. I'm mm-hmm. so excited to talk to you. I'm so excited to be here. So we met um, just a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. We had this amazing event with another guest who's also a very good friend of yours, Melody Asani. Yeah, she is my sister. She's your sister. And we had a great conversation about art and artistry and women of color in the industry. And I remember leaving thinking, like, you said the most brilliant things and you were so down to earth. And I was like, but dang, I still don't know a whole lot about her. She needs to come <laughs> on the show. And here I am. And here you are. We made this happen. Also, I had a doll when I was little named Melina. Oh. So I was like, I just, I know I'm going to love her spirit. I love she her. was I love bomb. Her. Your favorite doll? She was my favorite doll. She's so. one of my, her and Rosemary. Actually, my nephew has a doll that they named after me right now with really big hair. <laughs> really? Except he tried to like take the head off and I was like, what oh, are you no. trying to say about your auntie? <laughs> That's but, a little therapy. We'll little bit later. You know. um, what does Melina mean? Do you know what your name means? Well, I was named after a Greek actress named Melina McCory. Okay. And my father is half Greek. And Meli means honey in Greek. Ooh. Yeah. And I love honey. I used to eat honey sandwiches as a child. Are you serious? <laughs> All the time. And I still might partake. And yeah, that's what I mean. Honey. And I think Matsukis, which is my last name, which is also Greek. Mm-hmm. You would think I was just like a fully Greek right. woman. Matsuka means like beat with a stick because I think I come from a family of rebels. Ooh, okay. <laughs> All right, I like that. You know? I was like beat with a stick. Yeah, no, no, no. When they were occupied, somebody in my family deep down beat somebody down with a stick. <laughs> and they were like, Matsuka. And Do you feel like, that in your personality? That. Absolutely. You know, I, I feel like I'm a rebel. I'm always trying to create change in one way or another. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I go around beating people with sticks. I like that. At I least like on that. film. That's good. And this is recorded, so we'll always remember that. <laughs> um, Visually, you know, the right, visual right. version yes. of beating people with sticks. <laughs> so you said it would sound, because of your name, one would think that you were all Greek, but you're not, right? So you're, your mother is Afro-Cuban. Yes, father. my mother is from Cuba. She's Afro-Cuban-Jamaican. Okay. And my father's Greek and Jewish, mm-hmm. and they met and fell in love in New York City. And that's where you were born. Yes, that's where I was born and um, raised. Well, we moved to Jersey when I was like ten, mm-hmm. and then I came to LA fifteen years ago. Wow. What was your What was your childhood like in New York? Growing up with an Afro-Cuban Jamaican, what was a Greek Jewish family? Like all those cultural influences. What was that like? It was phenomenal. You know, my parents really. My parents. They were part of a political group called the Progressive Labor Party, which is very communist, leftist leaning in the 70s. That's actually kind of what brought them together. So our house was just open. It was open to people. They, they, you know, because obviously they're from different cultures, but they raised us to value people and culture and even, you know, cultures that weren't ours and to treat everybody equally and as family and with respect. And um, I don't know, I always loved the like, the, the collision of culture. Mm-hmm. And I saw the value in that and also like how even though we come from so many different places and times and um, environments, how much we have in common, mm-hmm. you know, how much we relate to each other. And I think growing up in a multicultural family really taught me that. How much did their political activism shape you? Very much so. You know, um, I was always inspired by by both of them, my mother and my father. Like, it sounds stupid, but, like, the reason I got into film initially when mm-hmm. I was super radical in, in college and I was just, like, you know, reading all everything. And I was really? Like, I wanted to change the world. And yeah. I was like, wow, I can change the world through film. Like, this is a medium that I feel like I can touch everyone and have something to say and represent us, represent the unheard um, or the unseen, mm-hmm. you know, and create an understanding and education about people and culture. And also entertain, you know, which mm-hmm. sometimes makes that 
a little easier for people to take in when Mm -hmm. they're entertained and you have a message, Mm -hmm. you know, attached to that, whether, you know, however big or small it is, um, and inspired me to get into film. Was there a film, one film or a a set of films or experiences that you had that really crystallized that for you? Like, I want to change the world, I want to change the world, and then, oh, film can do that. Might seem like a leap for some people, <laughs> right? Like, what brought that out in you? What, what made your eyes light that? Up? Well, you know, I was in college. I was at NYU. I was a math major to begin with. Really? I mean, I don't even know how that happened. I do know how that happened. My mother's an educator. She's a professor. She was a professor. She's retired now. And she was at NYU at the time, and I always wanted to go there, so I, like, went early admission and all this other stuff. And... I was a good student. Like, I was kind of good at everything, but never really passionate about one thing, except photography. I really loved it. Mm-hmm. And so when I first started school, she was like, oh, you have to declare a major. And I was like, why? <laughs> she was like, just do it. And I was like, okay, I'm great at math, so I'll just be a math it. major for now. Yeah. And then I took calculus, too, and I was like, I'm not that good at math. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna and I never want to take not. it again. Like, no, this is the last math class I'm ever taking. But, you know, as a freshman, you have to take, like, general classes with everybody. And I started meeting a lot of the film kids. And I got so inspired by, you know, by what they were doing. And I felt like, oh, I already do photography. I love photography. I was, you know, fallen in love with it in high school. And I felt like, oh, that's, you know, what film is to the next level is photography. And I felt like it was a great combination of what I felt like my skill set was, um, you know, with storytelling and English and math. You know, there's mm-hmm. so much technology in what I do. And it's a way to reach people, you know? Yeah. It's a, re- a way to entertain. It's a way to say something. And it's kind of, this, again, this, like, collision of all these skills that I felt like I had and, and I could offer the world and I could create a conversation in. Um, and so I, I became a film student. Mm-hmm. So you start off as a filmmaker. You're obviously just making things, right? You're mm-hmm. making things some good. Music some, videos. That's what you actually started with. Yes, I wanted videos. to only do music videos. Oh, so you were clear about that from Very the clear. My thesis in, in college and I went to grad school, they were both music videos. Um, the first one I did was for another friend of mine that I went to college with that I paid for out of my pocket. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, they gave us a camera and we snuck on trains and, you know, had my brother in it and shot in my cousin's apartment. Yeah. <laughs> and then when I, I went to grad school and I did the same thing, I knew, you know, I was an MTV baby. I grew up watching music videos, taping them, winding them, watching them back and forth. Do you have the box? I know we're aging Of course, now, yes. Okay. Yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> right. I think it might be still on. No. I feel like I saw it. Who, I don't know if it was, was old. Some like local access, you know, I don't know. Or maybe it was just like somebody had taped it and was playing it back. I love, you know, right. little vintage things. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I grew up like that and I, I fell in love with this, um, the relationship between music and film. Mm-hmm. And I loved as a filmmaker how you could, you could really um, be experimental. You could try anything. You could do something performance-based, fashion-based, narrative-based. You know, I could tell stories or I could not, you know? Like, mm-hmm. I could make a beautiful editorial to music. Like, it could take so many different forms. And I loved um, I loved the quick turnaround and working with different people mm-hmm. and not having to f- kind of fit in one box of mm-hmm. who you are. And I thought as a filmmaker, it really helped me hone my skills, you know, so that when I was ready to do film or TV or whatever, the, or documentary, whatever the next step was, like, 
I felt like, okay, I've had this experience and and now I feel comfortable like moving on and mm-hmm. continuing to grow. Did you ever, like after you made the decision, I know what I want to do. I want to make music videos. And mm-hmm. then you start making them, right? Mm-hmm. And you're making some successful ones mm-hmm. and people are starting to take notice. Was there at any point in that journey, did you, but maybe before the success came or before the recognition came, did you ever doubt if that's what you were supposed to be doing? Or were you very like kind of eye on the prize the whole time? I always knew. I think once I decided, I'm the kind of person that, like, once I decide I want to do something, I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no matter how many doors are slammed in my face, no matter how long it takes, no matter how much work I got to put into this, if this is my goal, then I work towards that. Mm-hmm. And I, I put, you know, I try to gather as many, as much weaponry in order to be able to achieve that goal. You know, so once I decided, oh, I want to be a music video, there was no doubt. Who were your mentors? Mm, my mother, for sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Every day. Um if I have a big decision, it's always my mom. I'll wake her up and she lives in, in Jersey. I'll wake her up in the middle of the night and be like, this is what's happening. She's really? like, this is why I need to manage you. I'm like, okay, slow down, lady. <laughs> she wants to manage you? <laughs> always. But, Would you mm, ever let her? Definitely no. No? Why? <laughs> That's my my mama Jer from the side. Uh-huh. Because um, it's just it's not her field. But What's the best advice she's giving you? Uh, the best? I don't Or any that stands out that you kind of come back to a lot or think about. I think uh, just, I don't know, to always, I think, go with my gut and Mm -hmm. to weigh the options and make, you know, really smart decisions based on the facts in front of you and not out of emotion. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not, I don't love the business side of what I do, so I'm always calling her to figure out what my next move should be or if I'm thinking about working with someone, why? And she always wants to know that they have values and they're a good person, and so do I, you know, that's important to me. Um, and, you know, it's just somebody to bounce ideas off of, and, mm-hmm. and she keeps me honest. Okay, so she's one mentor. Who else? Um, I had a couple great teachers mm-hmm. in school. Uh, Melody Hobson is going to be my mentor, but she don't know it yet. <laughs> she's your mentor in your head right now. Exactly. I'm like, I've been re-watching her TED Talk like right? over and over. She's phenomenal. I love it. I love her. Um I don't know. Maybe my friends. You know, I don't have any one person who's guided it. But in the same way that my mom is like my major decisions, I share with my my sistren. Mm-hmm. Um, Melody is one of those, and you know, we support each other. And I think that's really important to have a community that you feel supported by, um, that has your back and isn't judging you, and also helping to guide you with their experiences. You know, because mm-hmm. I feel like we're all trying to figure it out. Like, nobody has the answer. There was no path set for us already, and everybody's path is different. Um, so I think we have to lean on each other's experiences mm-hmm. to kind of move forward together. How did you build your tribe? And I know it's always hard because you're kind of just living life, and then mm-hmm. you look up and you have this thing and this great community. Mm-hmm. But I also know we tell young people, we tell young women, like, find your tribe, have your tribe. And it's like, okay, well, how do you do that? That's a hard question. Um, <laughs> <laughs> or how did you? Not how did you I don't tell know. someone else? I think mine else, was what? just natural. You know, like I gravitate towards certain people. I really don't like a lot of people, honestly. <laughs> so, but when I when I like you, I love you, mm-hmm. and I'm so loyal, and I trust you. And um, that's not going to be everybody, you mm-hmm. know. And I think there's different ways. It's like some people you just naturally gravitate towards and you have a connection on a personal level. Some people, while working with them, you realize you have a lot in common and you can lean on each other. Uh, And, you know, I think for me, it just naturally happens, you know, Mm -hmm. when I have a connection with somebody and we form a bond, you know, and that Mm -hmm. bond stays strong. 
uh, through time, then that's how my your tribe. You know, I don't think it's something you can go set out and do. Like, right. Where are you going to go to the club? Like, hey, girl. <laughs> I'm like, we're trying. <laughs> Want to be down with me? <laughs> well, I like your two-step. Right, right. Well, that twerk is popping. You should be a part of my tribe. Exactly. No, I think, you know, on your way. Like, you know, I think a lot of it was on my journey. Other people were there trudging along on theirs, you know, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, shit, we're, we're, we're doing this and we can do this together, yeah. you know? I saw this Issa Rae clip and I think at the event we were at, Lena Waithe spoke to this a little bit, mm-hmm. but the idea that a lot of times folks are looking to build relationships with people who are maybe a level ahead of them or mm-hmm. the people that they admire that are above, but mm-hmm. that actually the best relationships and the ones that will carry you the farthest are the people that are next to you. I agree. Peers. You know, that's why I was saying, like, my mentors are sometimes just my friends. You mm-hmm. know, Lena and Issa are both in my tribe, mm-hmm. you know, and those are both women that a lot of our firsts happen together. You know, like, Issa's first show is my first show directing on television. That's you know? amazing. But, yeah. you know, that was my first foray into into that world, too, you mm-hmm. know? And now we, we might do another project together. Mm-hmm. And that's how you, like, I think, create those bonds, you know? Mm-hmm. We have a lot of a similar background, and, and that connects you. And then because you're also at standing beside somebody, that I think it's easier to take that next step with that person. Right. So looking back, you kind of have these firsts and the, the, you said, I think you said like trudging along, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're going through the hard part of developing and Mm -hmm. growing and making mistakes and winning. Um, You had an interview once. I told you, you don't actually have a lot of (laughs) interviews. So I did my homework. I'm like, what did you see? And why is it still up? Because I'm like, can y'all take that interview (laughs) down, please? But this was a good one. And the person asked you, was your career path deliberate, right? Mm -hmm. And you said, yes, I visualized it. And this was the line that jumped out at me. You said... I think I saw myself getting to this point probably a little sooner, honestly. (laughs) And when you said that, I was like, bruh, I feel like that all the time. And I don't know if that's arrogant or if it's because of the pressure of society where it's like you feel like you're supposed to Mm -hmm. be a certain level of successful by 22 Mm -hmm. or 24, right? Mm -hmm. So how did you—tell me about a little bit more about that. I had a lot of success in the music video space very early. And very early after I graduated. What's early for you? Like what? Within the year after I graduated, I had done like 10 videos, four of which were Beyonce's, you know? And then Um, my music video career kind of catapulted (laughs) after that. Um, But then I I would say, I wouldn't say it plateaued, but like I was really successful in music videos, but I couldn't transfer that over to commercials. I couldn't do a film that I, I could have done a film, but it wasn't one that I would want to do. What I was getting was like step up eight. And, you know, a bunch of musicals, which aren't really my thing. Right. Um, You know, and I wanted to do something actually in the dramatic space that was like a lot smaller and character driven. So and and because I had success in one area, I wasn't willing to just do anything to do it. You know, I really Mm -hmm. wanted to wait for the first thing that for something that spoke to me, you Mm -hmm. know, because as an artist, I feel like I can't put my all into something if I'm not passionate about it. Mm hmm. And so I just saw that happening sooner. Like, I saw me doing a film. Even I still haven't done a film yet, you know. I saw that right. happening, you know, before now, mm-hmm. you know. But, you know, when it's supposed to happen, it will. And yep. it's probably about to happen. So the time <laughs> is right. You're working on something. You're but, you know, I'm an ambitious woman. And I was just like, oh, I'm going to take over the world very early in life. Right. And, um, you know. We're, we're still getting there. People are going to hear this and be super inspired. Mm-hmm. They're like, yes, yes. How did you do Beyonce videos a year after you? I mean, like, that's just a very real question because I used to listen to these interviews with folks and be like, but how did that happen? How did you do that? You Specifically know? how it happened. Okay. 
Um, so I had two videos. Okay, so one was for my friend mm-hmm. was of undergrad. Mm-hmm. One was for my cousin who was a rapper. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we shot in Houston. And <laughs> that was my second video, right? So now I have a little reel. Yeah. So from interning and PAing and working, I worked at a production company that did music videos and commercials. So, you know, I was there making no money and doing what I had to do and, you know, sweeping up after people and, you know, trying to humble myself (laughs) (laughs) in situations that I was like, I don't need to be here. But, you know, but that's all part of the education. So anyway, I had those two pieces um, on my reel. And from working in that space, I knew um, reps. I knew two music video reps. One who is my partner today and still my music video rep and one of my part of my tribe, one of my best friends mm-hmm. to this day. So I gave it to her. And from there, there's video commissioners at, at labels. So they're the ones who like they get the music, they send it out to a bunch of directors. They mm-hmm. like write a treatment, write an idea. And then them and the artist pick the best idea and they give you a job. So through my rep who got in touch with music video uh, commissioners. I got the opportunity to work on a couple treatments for some artists. Mm-hmm. And I did and I got I so I booked a couple smaller videos for for younger artists like Sharifa. Mm-hmm. And then they were with Def Jam. Okay. And so Def Jam at the time had Ludacris and Pharrell. And so they sent me the the song for Moneymaker. I wrote a treatment, and they liked it, and that was my first, like, real big video. Mm -hmm. I was so scared and running around like a chicken with my head cut off, and I was in Miami like, what the fuck do I do (laughs) with these guys? And um, we shot it, and it was pretty successful Mm -hmm. at the time, and it got, like, you know, a little shine Mm -hmm. on the the ones and twos. And so uh, Jay-Z was, I think, president of Def Jam at the time. So then it was like an MTV Awards or something. So I was with that same video commissioner, and we were at some stupid party. And she introduced me to Jay because I had him, and I was like, hi. And Beyonce was next to him, and my dumb ass is like, I'm coming for you. Wait, like a cornball. You said it? I literally said that. I told her that. Those story. were not your words. Literally, I was such an idiot. <laughs> I don't think she heard. Hopefully, she didn't. But <laughs> she was like, whatever. Everybody's coming for me. <laughs> right, right. I was like, oh, because I think he was like, oh, she's next or something like that, he said. So I was like, I'm coming for you. And then, like a month later, her video commissioner was calling me to wow. do some videos because she wanted to do videos for every song or album like she still does. Yeah. And they wanted me to do four of those uh, <laughs> videos. And this was the Beyonce album, right? No, this is B-Day. Oh, wow. hmm Yeah. You did four of those? I'm, I'm a lot older than I look. You're not old. <laughs> You're not old. But you've just yes. been doing this for a while. I've been doing this a while. Yeah. Yeah, that was B-Day. Um, so I did Upgrade You. I did Green Light. Oh, I, I did, did Kitty Cat. Okay. Yeah, and they went well, you know. And I really didn't know what I was doing, but I was surrounded myself by a really great team. Mm-hmm. And we were able to pull it off and pull it off well. And from there, I was able to work with anybody. See, I'm glad I asked that because a lot of folks, if they don't hear those details, mm-hmm. it just sounds mystical and magical. Right. And also, like, frankly, something no one else could do, right? It's doable. Yeah. That, you know? that, I mean, you certainly made it sound yeah. doable. Definitely, you had the talent, you had the work ethic, right I mean, place, yeah, right time, sure. but it doesn't sound like... Mm-mm, work your way up, mm-hmm. you know? And that's what I'm saying. It's like, hey, you got a friend that wants a video? Shoot it. 
Mm-hmm. Now you have a reel, you know. Now you have something to show. Now you have a calling card. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you have a friend that that has a write a script. You know, like make make something, have something to show. Mm-hmm. You know, and then when you get that opportunity to do something, you must deliver. Mm-hmm. Is there a piece for you that's like your dream thing that you want to create? There's a couple. One I'm working on right now. Oh, good. Um, which is not totally picked up, but it's a television show based on this book called The Brief History of Seven Killings. Okay. And it brings to life 1976 Jamaica when communism was kind of like taking over the Caribbean and South America and the U.S. was so threatened by that. They infiltrated all these cultures and created gang wars and really tried to, to you know, creating terrorism around the world, which is what they do. Um, Mm -hmm. And it was also at the height of Bob Marley and his his legacy. And so they conspired to kill him. So being part Jamaican, the story is very uh, close to my heart. Mm-hmm. And we've never had a show that, that um, focuses on West Indians at all. It's funny. You said you did say show. As you're telling mm-hmm. me, I'm seeing this like epic movie in my mind. And then I'm mm-hmm. like, whoa, a show? Yes. That well, the show starts there and then it jumps to New York. It grows. It mm-hmm. goes to New York in the 80s. It's, it, and then it comes back to, New, to Jamaica. I mean, it's like it's almost like Game of Thrones, Jamaica. <laughs> So <laughs> That's a great pitch. It's a, it's a bit sprawling to tell in right. a two-hour uh, situation. And it has, you know, set six characters, all from different, like, economic backgrounds and cultures. And um, although most of them are West Indian. Um, so it's too big, I think, of a story to tell mm-hmm. in, in film format. So it just lives better in television. There's clearly, like, at least, if not a political message, because I don't mm-hmm. want to necessarily put that on the show, but there is... I guess a political kind of undercurrent or some political sensibilities around it, right? We're talking about mm-hmm. communism. We're talking about mm-hmm. the U.S. involvement in terrorism around mm-hmm. the world. How often do your politics kind of infiltrate, even subtly, your mm-hmm. art? I think all the time. I don't know if they can't not, mm-hmm. you know? Um, it's a part of who I am. So I think just my eye lends itself to that. You know, even with Insecure, which is a comedy, I think it's a really political show just by being. Right. You know, just by representing the community it represents and the female friendship it represents. Like, we've never seen that, you know, on television told in that way from that kind of voice, mm-hmm. you know. So I tend to gravitate towards material that feels different and feels new and that has some sort of, I guess, a message, but that's not heavy handed in it. Mm-hmm. Did anything change for you when we first started the show last year? And you would wanted to, I knew I wanted to have a show, and I knew I wanted to interview mm-hmm. really, you know, interesting, fascinating, inspiring women. But the hook that we ended up using was folks were losing their minds after the election, mm-hmm. right? And it was like, okay, I was hearing from a lot of women, even folks who had been politically engaged for a long time. Like mm-hmm. my circle prior to being in media was politics, so all my friends were on the campaign, and even from them, I was hearing okay, I got to step up and do something more now. Like this moment that was just a shift. And then from folks who hadn't been politically engaged at all, it was like, I have to do something. Right. How did you feel? Have you has your has your art changed since I, I won't say his name since 45? Has, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Has your art changed? Has your life changed? And if so, in what way? Uh I mean, I think the political aspect of my art, because that's my voice, like that's how I feel like I create change and I'm political, is through my art. You know, Mm -hmm. I always call it like protest art. Mm -hmm. That's been consistent since before this fool got into power. And any 
I'm so, I'm sorry, but like any leader that's the leader of this country is going to be a puppet of the system that right. you know they're representing. So I think this that fight is continual. Whoever is the leadership, I mean, this takes it to a whole nother level. <laughs> Um, it's a different level. I think my fury has increased uh-huh. on a daily basis and my stress level uh, because I love Rachel Maddow and I love Jesus and Miro. And <laughs> every day I come home and they're my release, but they also incite the shit out of me. Right. Um, right. I think just my agitation has increased. And, yeah, the also just the need for change, which, you know, sometimes it has to get worse for it to get better, right? It motivates people. Like, a lot of people were actually happy mm-hmm. on the more radical side when he was elected because it's like, okay, there's no more complacency. Right. You know, with Obama, like, Obama did a lot of fucked up shit. I love Obama, but, you know, he brought a lot of destruction around the world and to our own community in some way. There's but no he was like your cool-ass uncle. He so was you know? the, exactly. He's the cool uncle, but also he runs the empire. Right. <laughs> right, like an empire. Yeah, so, of course, he's going to do that. He has no choice if he decides to, you know, involve himself in the system. Them. So it's like, but you don't want to bring down your cool ass uncle. Like you want to support him, and you had to. Like you know, he's the first black president, nah. Right. But this fool is like, oh, where's, where's my stick, <laughs> Matsuka <laughs> coming right. out? Matsuka. You know, like yeah. So, but I think you know, it's really motivated a lot of people, and I, I love that. You know, I love seeing that everybody's kind of been politicized. Everybody wants to have, be part of the conversation. And that's how you create change, mm-hmm. you know, when the masses really decide to, like, uh, to, to motivate and to come together and to fight, you know, mm-hmm. together. So everybody knows you from from that work, right? Mm-hmm. So from the, the amazing music videos, Beyonce, Rihanna, like, first of all. One theme that's pretty obvious when you look at your work is that you work with a lot of dope women of color. I do. Is that intentional? I think it's natural. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I like to work with other women of color and they like to work with women of color. <laughs> like, we like to work with ourselves. Like, you know, it's, our, it's like you have a shorthand, mm-hmm. you know, when you work with your own people. It's like why white men rule the world. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, I'm going to bring my man up. This is yeah. my boy. We want to go out afterward and drink and da-da-da-da. So I'm going to give him this job and I'm going to give him this opportunity. And we're the same in that. And, you know, we have a common common struggle, mm-hmm. you know, in all our different fields. And I think we connect on that basis. And when you can do it with your sister, like, why why wouldn't you do that? Mm-hmm. What's the what's the, the project that you've worked on with a woman of color that's your favorite? Uh-uh. I know. I was, I was hoping. I was like, <laughs> You're trying to set me up? Okay, how about this? There's a better, here's a better one. This is actually interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we know all the big stuff you've done, mm-hmm. definitely, right? Mm-hmm. We know Lena. We know Solange. We know Beyonce, Issa, all that. Mm-hmm. What's a project that you're super proud of, that you love, that doesn't get all the love all the time, right? That isn't mm-hmm. the one everybody knows about? Sensual Seduction by Snoop Dogg. <laughs> oh my gosh, I didn't realize you did that. <laughs> I love that video. That's probably one of my favorite videos I've done. Really? One of, not the. Right, right, right. Um, yeah, we just had a great time. And it was so, like I said, I like the vintage like kind of feel. And he went there, you know. And I was like, wow, this man, I, he, you know, broke all expectation I had of him. But yeah. I was like, he's really willing to take risks. <laughs> I remember when I first came out, we were like, <laughs> Really? Exactly. I said that on set, you know, (laughs) when he was like, this treatment is bomb. I was like, really? Um, But, you know, I had a whole different vision of who he was. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, something I'm really proud of. What kind of set do you run? I feel like, you know, for the performers, it's 
and actors is hopefully comfortable and safe. Mm-hmm. You know, it feels like a place where we can create and we can continue to see. You know, we all go in with a plan, but I want to be able to, like, be spontaneous and build off each other when we're on set. So hopefully it feels like that. Um, and for my crew, you know, I feel like it's strong. You know, mm-hmm. it needs to be strong. We need to, like, be a unit and move as a, as one unit so that we can get our days done. And I'm probably loud and I'm sure people call me a bitch and all that stuff all the time. But I think that goes back to being a strong woman. It's Mm -hmm. like I have a specific vision and I expect that everybody's going to show up to create that. I was just talking to a friend, um, name dropping is weird, but she's a she's a really, really powerful actress, person Mm -hmm. in Hollywood. And we were around a bunch of men. Mm -hmm. There's just this way that we assume that once someone has reached a certain level, Mm -hmm. that no matter what, they get a certain level of respect. But she's Mm -hmm. a woman of color. So no. And I saw the way that they were still second-guessing her. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, dude, she's 10 times more right. experienced and credible and successful mm-hmm. than you are. Mm-hmm. And yet, right, there's still that questioning. So it was, I, I was curious, how often are you still challenged or second-guessed? Or do you feel as if someone is really checking you right. because of your gender? I think on every project, somebody does that. The beauty of being a director is that you don't have to work with them again. Mm-hmm. And it's your set, so if you're not comfortable, they can go. Mm-hmm. I don't. This is my set. You don't have to be here. <laughs> yeah. And I'm very clear upon hiring people of you know the project that we're doing, and this is what we're trying to say. So I hope if you believe in it, and this is what you want to say, then you belong here. If not, then it's okay. You, it's not for everybody. But I do expect professionalism, and if you're not part of what we're trying to create, then this place isn't for you, and that's okay. But bye, <laughs> bye. bye. <laughs> Um, were there experiences you had along the way that um, were difficult because you were a woman or because you're a woman of color where you felt like, oh, my identity is why I'm experiencing this right now? I think every day. I don't know if that's ever anything that you forget, Mm -hmm. you know, especially in in my industry, which is pretty much every industry (laughs) in this country. It's like you walk in and you might be the only black woman there, Mm -hmm. you know, and you sometimes need to be louder or quieter or acceptable or not acceptable. And and I think you just have to be you, you know, but I don't think that that's something that you ever forget Mm -hmm. at any minute of the day. Mm -hmm. You said you just have to be you. How did you figure out like what, what being you meant? Like, did you have periods when you're like, I don't know if in this setting I need to be this particular way in order to accomplish my goal, I need to kind of fall back? Or Mm -hmm. have you just always been, you know, the popular word now is unapologetically. Have you always been unapologetically yourself or were there times when you kind of? I mean, I think as a black person in this country, you have the code switch. I don't know when you can always be any one thing or even as a professional, like Mm -hmm. I can't go into you know, a, a professional setting and be my cursing self or calling everybody a nigga or whatever I want right. to do, you know? And then when I'm with my friends, it's like, it's natural to us. We do that, you know, at the drop of a dime how many times a day. So I think that becomes a part of who you are, you know, learning how to Ooh, navigate through point. all these different environments. Like, that's how we survive, yeah. you know? So being unapologetically you is is learning how to switch within each scene you know which mm-hmm. in each space that still feels like authentically who you are right it's not, not being like false. someone else yes but you know and even as an artist it's like I I like to feel like I'm a diverse artist you know like I, I like to do comedy I like to do drama I like to you know do all kinds of different 
things and that's what feeds my soul because that's who I am as a person, you mm-hmm. know? So I don't know if I can ever be one way mm-hmm. in every environment or any, every place. Right. Do you feel like you sacrificed anything along the way for your level of success or for the type of kind of, not comfort, because, right, you're never comfortable. You're trying to always push and challenge yourself. Mm-hmm. But for the the place that you are in your career and in your life, mm-hmm. do you feel like you sacrifice anything? What does it cost you to get where you are? Absolutely. I think for anything, to be great, you're going to have to sacrifice. For me, a lot of it has been in relationships, and I've really been trying to find the time to, to give towards nurturing those relationships, family, friends, the traveling, the just being there. Mm-hmm. But finding the time to do it all, that's, I think, the biggest sacrifice because I feel like that that's life. You know, mm-hmm. that's the shit that really matters. And I think when when you're young and you're really trying to get somewhere, like, you have one focus and that's to make it. And so everything else kind of, like, falls by the wayside. Mm-hmm. And it's important to, to nurture your tribe because at the end of the day, you know, and this is probably a revelation I had a couple of years ago, but... I don't want to die. And it's like, oh, I did, you know, this show and this film and this video. And, like, there's nobody there to share that with me. Mm-hmm. Nobody by my side. And I feel like relationships are what, what really matters, you know. It's that interaction with people mm-hmm. that feeds the soul. So you work a lot. I tend to. <laughs> uh, you work a lot. And then you go home and you watch this stuff that pisses you off, right? <laughs> I'm just getting. I mean, that's but not I do life, love but it. You, I do love it. You love it. it. You yes. love it. But um, what do you do for stress relief? How do you, like, take care of Melina? Melina likes to eat. Melina (laughs) (laughs) loves good food. Mm -hmm. Um, So I eat a lot. I go out to eat a lot. I cook a lot. I bring friends over. Today we just had, like, I was like, I love this little cultural hub that's happening in my living room. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, food brings people together. So that is a really, I think, healing process for me. Mm -hmm. I like to read. I shop. Way too much. (laughs) (laughs) Do you? Yes. What things do you buy? I like my things. Um, Clothes for sure. And now that's kind of transferred over into fashion Mm -hmm. and, you know, getting my house together when I have time. But, you know, that's not always. But I I, I don't know. And now, and I love to travel when I can. I love to travel with my friends. Now my boyfriend, we're going to Egypt for the New Year's. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to that. But, yeah, I like to experience culture and I like to stay inspired. And I think traveling definitely does both. You Mm -hmm. know, it helps you rest and recover from what you're doing. And it it inspires you to to learn and um, experience people and culture and history. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I get a lot out of that. So in terms of thinking about your future now, right, what? What excites you? What are you most excited about? And not necessarily just a particular project, but Mm -hmm. in crafting the next phase of your life, what excites you? So much. Like, we just, I actually just had like a strategy uh, conversation with my manager today. I think what's exciting is definitely doing a film because I haven't done that. Um, So, doing a film in this next year and producing. You know, I've Mm -hmm. always seen myself as a director and now I'm producing as well, you know, and knowing that I don't have to direct everything to to, for it to be a part of my brand or my vision or what I believe in. And I can put my hand in multiple projects, Mm -hmm. you know, as a producer. So that's a really exciting Mm -hmm. uh, prospect for me. And I don't know, creating an empire, like how does that happen? 
you know? <laughs> like, right. We're starting to be like, ask those real questions. And that it doesn't just end at like directing, like not just being a filmmaker, but like really having ownership in the material that we're creating. You mm-hmm. know, I think that's really important. And it's not something that many of us have. And it also opens the door up for so many more of us. How do you figure out those questions? One of the themes that I I think is reoccurring on this show when I talk to women about their next step and being quote-unquote pioneers Mm -hmm. is like when you're doing something new that hasn't been done before, Mm -hmm. yeah, you have elders and whose shoulders you stand on, but Mm -hmm. at the same time it it can feel lonely because other people haven't done it yet. Mm -hmm. So where do you turn to for advice when you have questions about building your empire, (laughs) right? For me... I, you know, I've, I've put a lot of effort into building a team that I trust, right? So it's agents and managers, my mama, mm-hmm. you know, and getting their advice on the next steps. Some of those people have done it already. If not, they can give advice to, you know, there's a lot of people on my team who I'm growing with. They've mm-hmm. never done it either. Um, but we all have people that we can depend on, you know, that have. And then also just that community within our industry mm-hmm. of other women of color or other just other women or men or whoever, you know, that you feel like you can trust to ask those questions. Like, I never feel – I always ask questions. You mm-hmm. know, the education's never done. I don't know everything. Um, and I don't think I would like to. And I, I always like to challenge myself to continue to learn, mm-hmm. you know, and – I think it's about surrounding yourself with people that you trust and you can ask questions and, you know, you can find the way together. Mm-hmm. People call you now, I don't know if you know this, but like a tastemaker, right? Like, <laughs> which is, you know, an it girl tastemaker kind of vibe. And when uh-huh. I hear that, I always think about, okay, taste. I, I'm reminded of this um, Ira Glass from This American Life has this, there's an animated video of him giving some speech somewhere. And he said, when you're an artist and you're a really talented creative, mm-hmm. you start with a taste level that is very high, but a skill level that might not match. Mm-hmm. And the frustration is that, like, you have great taste, but your skill isn't there yet, so mm-hmm. you just have to keep practicing. Yes. When did you get to the point where you felt like, okay, my talent and my skill matches my taste? Like, I think what I'm doing is really, really good. I think I'm still growing to that. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know if I'll ever be able to... I think my taste changes, you know, as I grow and as I learn and as I experience different things. And... My skill set, you know, is is really based on my experience and my education, and that's an ongoing process. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if at any point they'll be equalized, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I rely on both, I guess, to create. Do you feel like the the fact that we're in like a Black Girl Magic love moment, although it's questionable how much that love actually extends <laughs> to like real things, right? <laughs> other than you know hashtags, but uh-huh. do you think the fact that we're in that moment? Um, is beneficial to you, to your work, to other young creators of color, or do you see it as just not really relevant? Like, it's just a fad. It's definitely not a fad. I'm not going to let it be a fad. Um, Mm. I think that it's opening up doors because a lot of us are creating work where that has value, you know? I mean, we always have been, but now they understand our value, Mm -hmm. you know? And they are forced to give us more opportunities, and the more that we can create things that it all comes down to money in this country, the things that are mm-hmm. lucrative for them, they want more of, you know? And the more we shame them, <laughs> mm-hmm. the more they're forced to to employ us, you know? And the more we're in the door, the more people that we bring in, mm-hmm. you know, that are like us, that look like us. that. And you know what? I'm like, people want something different. Nobody wants to see the same. White people don't want to see white people every day. 
<laughs> you know, I mean, it's like how many shows have yeah. No, no. It's like okay, can we have some other, you know, material here? Right. And it's interesting, right? Like you get to learn about a whole world that you never knew about, and I think that's interesting for people even outside of that world. And the more those doors open up and we can deliver, the more, you know, gates open up for the next generation. And Mm -hmm. then we flood those gates, Mm -hmm. you know. And But, you know, we're going to have to fight and we're going to have to demand that these changes are made. And as long as we maintain our value, which we are doing, then they have to listen. Mm Mm-hmm. And you also, you mentor a lot of young young creators, right? I try to, yes. I definitely have a shadow on every uh, set that I'm on. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I try to respond as much as possible to people. <laughs> it's a little overwhelming <laughs> right, sometimes. Right, of course, of course. Um, but, yeah, I, I definitely try to, to bring that next one in. And I need it. You know, I need it not even on the mentoring side. Like, I need my crew to be diverse. Like, I want the stories that I'm making about, people that look and speak a certain way to be made by those same people, Mm -hmm. you know, and we're not there a lot. So I need that help. I need to train the next person to, like, be my DP, Mm -hmm. to be a grip, Mm -hmm. to be my production designer. Like, I need it on all fronts to Mm -hmm. be my executive, Mm -hmm. you know. So I'm trying to empower as many women as I can to take that role so that our tribe stays strong. How old were you when you moved to L.A.? I was, how old are you when you graduate undergrad? 22? There you go. That's what I was. Okay, so what would you say to 22-year-old Melina? 22-year-old Melina. You know, believe in yourself, that you belong, that you can do anything. That's actually everything my mom told me ever. (laughs) (laughs) Listen to your mother. Did you believe that back then, though? (laughs) Um, On some days, Uh you know, I think... That's a very real answer. When you're in college, it all feels like a pipe dream. And you're mm-hmm. like, is this really possible? Like, if I studied, you know, for me, I went the very classical way. And it's absolutely not the path that you have to take to do what I do at all. It's just been my path. But, like, I studied what I did. I worked towards what I did. And then I did what I did. Like, you went to school to study exactly. it. And you graduated and did I it. I interned. Then- I PA'd. I tried it out on my own. And then I used that to actually get a real job. Does that path still work now? I think absolutely. Okay. For me, as a woman of color, I feel like it's best to educate yourself as much as you, as much as possible and, and gain experience and always have that to lean on. I think it's, it's it's something to lean on when you're challenged, you know, your education. Like, I know what I'm talking about because I, I know this work. Like, I studied. That's really—I think that's a really important point because we're in this age and the era of the Internet, mm-hmm. right, when you can teach yourself. I actually believe Absolutely. that. You can learn so totally. much. But I think the narrative is— the narrative is skewed towards, like, you know, the white boy who dropped out of college and went mm-hmm. to live in his father's basement and just made something dope. And then his father's best friend gave him $50,000. Right. So it's like, you, that's the narrative. Yeah, I'm but like, that white t- boy didn't have to work. Right, right, right. <laughs> you know, he didn't have kids to support. Not that I do. Um, and I would live a privileged life, you know, not in, not to that extent at all. But <laughs> right, that right. I was able to go to school, you mm-hmm. know, that I could afford that. Um, that I could sacrifice, you know, and, and and spend time, like, honing my skills in order to do it. And not everybody is, is given that opportunity, mm-hmm. you know. But like you said, you can teach yourself, you know. That's still doing the education. It's, right. You, like, there's not one way to educate yourself. It can also be through, you know, experience um, or through the Internet. Mm-hmm. But nothing happened. Well, for me, it wasn't overnight. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Let's imagine that one day one of the young mentees that you have now, 30, maybe even 40 years from now, mm-hmm. is making the Melina Matsukas film, the movie of <laughs> your life. What's the, what's the one line or what's the description of the film of your life that you want made? Be a revolution. Mm, like you need more than that? No, that's, <laughs> I'm, no, I'm surprised you could give it to me that quick. I was waiting. I I'm like, got it. That I seems like, like a going theme. <laughs> I like that. Um, so what are you excited about moving forward, like in terms of the, the state of the industry? I'm looking forward to all the different stories we're, we're telling. And I'm looking forward to watching them. Mm-hmm. You know, I love to, to just sit back and be entertained as well. And to be inspired by the people to my side. Mm-hmm. And I love all these voices. And, you know, I love supporting them in whatever way I can. And that's really exciting. You know, it's it's really exciting to not have to be the only black girl in the room. I was just talking to someone. Was, she was like, oh, I was the only black girl in my class, my class in high school. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I remember being the only black girl in my class. And mm-hmm. I was like, I wish we'd all known about right. each other. Yes. But now this generation hopefully won't have to have that experience. Exactly. And we, as long as we support each other. Like, it's such an honor to just be here with you right now. Yeah. I haven't oh, done one yes. podcast. And I was like, oh, I'm doing that one. Yes. <laughs> I'm so excited. I'm so grateful. Um, so last question, what would you tell the young women who are listening, or not even just women, young people in general, or people, I don't know where people are in their in, uh, stage in their lives, but who are really trying to pursue their calling. They have that feeling that you had when you said, I know what I want to do and mm-hmm. make and be in the world, right? People have that feeling at different stages in their journey. Some mm-hmm. have it as young as you did. Some have it I was lucky. when they're 31, 32, right. others 40. But wherever they are, when they have that feeling, what's the piece of advice you would give them about, about the journey? I would say humble yourself, educate yourself, don't give up, you know, that it's achievable, and also focus that energy. Like, you can't do everything great, you know? Mm -hmm. So focus it (laughs) on one thing. And when you achieve that, if you want to change it, cool. But, you know, I think build towards one kind of goal before you make it broader. Well, Melina, thank you. I'm going to probably go home tonight and watch all your music videos. Aww. Right <laughs> Please don't. So I happy. hate most of them. Um, no, you do not. Kind of. Really? I don't know. You know when you look back at, I'm sure you're, the, no, you're not the same way. When you look oh, back no, at your I work am, from I like yesterday, you you're like, ugh, oh. what was I going through? I feel like that's like 10 minutes past. Like I have a 10 minute right, delay. exactly. Like. <laughs> so maybe like, 20, 30% of my work I'm very proud of. And uh-huh. the rest I'm like, let's just put that in the, in the cloud. <laughs> we don't have to talk about that one. <laughs> no, again. no, no. I ain't, who did that? Um, yeah, no. Well, I'm still going to go watch all of them. Okay, you do that. Because my audience loves you. I love you. And <laughs> I'm so you. happy we're here. So I appreciate the love. Thank I love you. y'all back. Well, I'm glad y'all got to meet my new BFF, Melina. <laughs> no, seriously, though. Many, many thanks to her for being on the show. This episode was produced by Melody Rowell, published by Man Repeller, and hosted by moi, your girl, Erica Williams-Simon. The next time I talk to you, it's going to be 2018, which, y'all, I don't even know where this year went. But I really want to thank you for spending so much of it with me and these fantastic women. We've got a few more episodes to go this season, and the next one, the one we're kicking off the new year with, is so, so timely. I can't wait for you to hear it. Until then, you know what to do. Enjoy your holiday, of course, but still, keep loving, keep dreaming, keep fighting, and of course, keep answering your call. Peace, y'all.